I'm April Vokey, and you are listening to Anchored, my chance to interview some of the most influential people involved in the fishing world today. Join me as I travel to sit face-to-face with my guests in their own homes to learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both on and off the water. I am proud to say that this episode is made possible by the forward-thinking people at Thump Coffee. It's refreshing to finally find a coffee shop who not only prides themselves in their coffee quality, but also in their integrity. Thump's coffee may awaken your senses, but their commitment to authenticity awakens so much more. Jim Teeny has been around. From the famous Teeny lines to the super fishy Teeny nymphs to books, DVDs, it seems like the list is never ending. Jim has branded himself in a way that very few personalities have successfully done before in this industry. In this episode, I meet with Jim at his home in Gresham, Oregon, to get the lowdown on his industry struggles, his experiences abroad, and his plans to bring his brand back stronger than ever before. I got started when I was like 12 years old. My good friend, when I moved to, uh, he moved to Bend, Oregon, and I, and we were best friends, and I would visit him. And uh, one time over there, he goes, I want to show you what I'm doing. So we ran into his bedroom, and he had a vice set up on his desk in his room, and he sat down, and he tied a fly, and I says, oh, my God, does that look exciting? That looks like fun. So we went down to Bob's Sporting Goods right. in Bend, Oregon, and I bought my first hook and vice, and and uh, and I started tying when you know since I was twelve, and uh, and I started with uh, dry flies and then woolly worms. Where uh, I think I did my best on woolly worms. That was you know, and then uh, it was May of nineteen sixty two. Oh, so I was a junior in high school, and we were Dan Shocker and I were going to go to East Lake in Central Oregon because there were giant trout and there big rainbows, browns and brookies. So I tied up some flies uh, the night before. And I showed him to my dad, who was staying home with mom, you know, and because he was more a steelhead and salmon fisherman, but not a not that much of a trout fisherman, and not a fly fisherman, not at that point, no. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, anyway, you know, he, um, I said, Dad, I says, what do you think of these flies? And he goes, Well, they're pretty. He said, But why don't you make something ugly? So I went back downstairs and I laid every piece of material I had to make any kind of a fly with and the ringneck pheasant tail feather really I looked at that and I thought well you're ugly you're just brown and black and you know and, I, and so I, I put a number eight hook in the vise and, and then uh, I thought well now how I'm going to make a fly so I stripped some of the fibers off tied them in the butt section and then I'm looking and I said well I got to make a body so I wrapped the body and then I had these tips out there and I thought well I'll bend them under so they'll be like legs or feelers or something and then I finished the head and that was it and so uh, just to kind of fast forward that my first cast the next morning at East Lake from the North Shore I hooked a a, probably seriously a five or six pound beautiful male rainbow I saw him cruising and I cast out a ahead of him and I just was letting it settle down and when he when he got close enough I started to crawl it back right he came right over and grabbed it I got so excited I held I says I got him I got him it was the biggest trot I had hooked at that time and I held my real handle when he tried to run and I broke no. him off <laughs> but I remember it so well but that that's how I got started and then we went to Diamond Lake and you know it's just um it's it's been a great journey for me and I love it. And I, I want to be uh, creative and I want to add to the sport. I don't want to copy anything. Everything that we've done has been original. Yeah, you're or very new innovative, designs. aren't you? Well, you know, I thank you. I, you know, I mean, I try to be because when I think of myself, of how I want to improve, I want everybody else to improve. I want everybody else to gain, you know, from what I've learned because, oh, my God, I don't know how many thousands of hours I put into this. It's my passion. It's my love. You well, know. How old are you now, Jim? Um, I'm 69, and in August I'll be 70. Wow! I mean, that is putting in some serious time. Yeah, yeah. No, I, and it's been a, it's been wonderful. I, I love it. I enjoy it. Uh, I'm not done. No, I know. <laughs> I can tell, no and you way. look excellent. Thank you. No, thank so, you. Thanks for having me over. No, no, it's a pleasure. So let's I me- remember when we met at the Portland yeah, show. Yeah, I forget. You Wasn't that such fun? A pleasure. Yeah. Donna pulling my shirt. Down over my belly button. <laughs> if you're going to be in this industry, you need to be sure to dress appropriately. So, <laughs> she was so lovely. She would just, you know what? She, I never forgot her. You guys never, ever, ever. Well, that was it. Was great because we were excited to see new people, you know, mm-hmm. and and uh, 
And you, I mean, well, for us, you're real. And we watch and we've been, you know, we, we follow what you're doing. Oh, and, uh, and, and so you're really, um, I think, I think you're making a big difference oh, and that's important because making a difference is, you know, in the industry and I, you know, I've, I've been, not everybody likes me or anything, but it's most of the people that don't like me, don't know me. I if totally you know what understand. I mean. Yeah. You know, and I, and I think when you, when you climb to the top of anything, People take shots at you, and people, there's a little bit of a jealousy thing there or whatever. But I, I, I can promise you that on a stream or a river or lake, I've never not taken the time for somebody else out of my fishing time to help them. I, know, I do I, that all the time. And I hear that all the time. I've actually never heard anyone say anything bad about you. Oh, I and maybe it's because I don't go seeking out any sort of gossip. I just, I'm not interested in hearing yeah, it. Yeah, it's just, it's just like... I think I think what I did when I got started, I was ahead of my time on a lot of things. Like for an example, when I told you earlier that I learned really learned how to fly fish in in '75, where I really thought I could go out and get steelhead consistently. Mm-hmm. Well, the reason how I learned how to do that was by putting split shot on my leader up about 30 inches from the fly Mm -hmm. because we didn't have lines back then that could get down and make the delivery. And we're going to be chatting about that. See? Mm -hmm. So so when I did that, everybody goes, oh, that's not fly fishing. Well, you're putting weight on your leader. Well, you know what? I can only look at fish long, so long, and I can't get to them that I, I had to try to figure out, and I didn't even know if I could even cast the line, you know what I mean? But I did, and, and it was deadly on steelhead in the Kalama River, and so, uh, but that was just the start, and so that's why I've developed the lines that I have because I don't even carry split shot with me. I, I haven't for years now anymore. I don't need to. Well, I'm going to come back to the lines first. Mm-hmm. Let me just backtrack a little bit. So. You're a kid, you're fishing, you're a teenager, you're fishing. When did you decide you wanted to be in the industry and that this is what you were going to do for a living? Well, that's a really, that's a good question. Um, Back in um, probably 1970, um, I think it was, right at right, and we were, um, two of my buddies and I were fishing the Olympic Peninsula for winter steelhead. Mm -hmm. Well, we met some guys that were, patent attorneys from Portland. Right. I didn't know. And my two buddies, they said, Jim, you got to, because I kept the fly a secret for nine years. You're talking about the teeny nymph. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And that's, and so I, and they said, Jim, you ought to really think about getting your fly patented. And I said, I don't know if you can patent a fly. So I, I asked Ken Clark West, he goes, well, if it's different enough. And I says, well, I only use one feather. I says, and I tie the whole fly. So I went in and uh, and then started our company July 1, 1971. And I got two designs and uh, one mechanical patent on that. So you and started so, the company based around the fly? Only the fly. Wow. That's all I had. For people who have never seen it, for a lot of the uh, uh-huh. the newer people into the sport, can you maybe just describe what it looks like or yeah, how it, it's tied or just something simple? It's um, It was a single body and it was just like a, it was a standard hook then in a size 8 or 10, but mostly 8s. Mm-hmm. And I tied them up and then the next year I did a number four, which was a double body. It was mm-hmm. a bigger hook, and I did two sections. And so um, I was thinking, this is me, my weird little mind. I was thinking, well, it would be like two bugs mating. You know how sometimes you see yeah. them connected and they're flying around or they're doing things. So I thought, and, and it, the number four was so deadly. But it's really just the the ring neck pheasant tail feather wrapped around the body, and then the fibers bent under. Got it. And then for summer steelhead... The number four is so deadly in black and insect green and anti-gold and natural. You fish it for all species, right? That's the only thing I've fished since 1971. Wow, so a list of species. Shark, tarpon, barracuda. You caught caught a shark on a teeny nymph? Oh, lots of them. What? How big is the nymph? Oh, it's it's, um, we've gone up to size probably maybe four odd, but most of the time, like we just got back from bone fishing and we caught. We did shark and barracuda and boxfish and bonefish, and we were on a very remote island down in the Bahamas. All sight fishing. All sight, yeah. This is amazing. So what color would you tie them in? Ginger, and that's the off-white ah, one. The and then what would, you, what would you retrieve? 
Well, we'd well we'd we'd be either you know stripping or or you know mostly just pulls and then pause and pulls. But you you know uh, this was a really exciting trip for us because we were the only ones fishing the whole island, and, and it wasn't like it was a no brainer. Just throw it out, boom, you got one. It wasn't anything like that, and we didn't rack up big numbers. But I did have a permit grab my fly, and and I and I missed this sucker. You know, I, you know, I was just like I was so excited because I saw him working, and he was just kind of lazily working. And I thought, man, I'm going to have a good chance at him. So I I cast probably about five six feet to his left, and he heard the plop, and he came right over there and just picked it up and oh. and I missed it. Oh, but but it was okay. You know, I mean, because I've caught a couple, you know, on the fly, but we've caught everything on it. I've and I don't know that. If you know this, but I um, I fought a tarpon uh, many years ago. We were staying with Billy Pate oh, cool. in in Homo Sassa Springs, and uh, I fought a tarpon for four hours thirty five minutes clock time. We chased him between six and seven miles in the boat, and brought him uh, uh, actually. And I'm just telling you, brought him to the gaff three times. Our guide missed him three times, and the third time brought him right up to the boat. He grabbed the leader, so I stripped off. So I I, I was done. I had the fish. Landed, but yeah. two other guides had uh, saw him, uh, the fish, and follow, they quit fishing and followed us around. Everybody es- estimated it at 250 pounds. So On it, a teeny nymph? Yep, an antique gold leech. <laughs> and it was, and it was, it was, the most awesome battle and fish. It was so beautiful. And and we put, at one time, Rick uh, Doyle, who was our guide at the time, mm-hmm. held out a kill gaff that was eight feet long. See, back then, this was like in 80, 81. Mm-hmm. And, and we didn't know. I would never kill that fish now. But I didn't know because we were, we were, we had been with Billy Pate um, the first year at Isla Mirada. Mm-hmm. We caught Tarpon, my friend Steve and I. So the next two years, we went to Home Assassin with Billy. Right. And became very dear, good friends. He was a great man. So we didn't really know what they did. They do. And back then, they would <clears throat> want to kill him and put him on a gap. And, yeah. It was, you know. Everything was different. <clears throat> it was different. And, I, and, and personally, never wanted to do that. But we didn't know. But, uh, but Rick had this leader in his hand. And... My buddy Steve, he's running the motor because all the electrics are dead after that long, you know. Yeah. And we're going, get him, Steve. And he had he had the little lip gaff. Right. And he could have just lip gaffed it. And we, he literally froze. He took all his clothes off except his shorts, took his watch off, his shoes off, his shirt off. I said, what are you doing? He says, well, if I stick this fish, this was earlier in the battle. He says, it's going to pull me in and I'll have have to hang on to the gaff. Seriously. So I know he was afraid of the fish. It was giant. It was a big boy. Yeah, I can't. Girl, I just, I, probably. I always associated the teeny nymph with freshwater fish. I never thought saltwater fish. Yeah, it just. So that's exceptional. We didn't know going down there, Billy. And I asked Billy Pate. I said, Billy, I said, do you think my flies will work on tarpon? He goes, <laughs> Well, I think they will, Jimmy. He says, uh, and uh, and and his favorite was what he called fuchsia. And that oh, was yeah. like what it was kind of our hot pink. Yeah. You know, and he got, I watched him get a couple of tarpon on that. And we, he was a, just a nice man, Aww. you know. And uh, yeah, I was just, I, I just felt really gifted. I, but originally, so you know this, Teeny Nymph was originally a trout fly. Rainbows, browns, and brookies. Right. Had no idea we'd get steelhead salmon, bass, bluegills. If it's swimming, we got a shot. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't missed, you know, so. This is this is great. I'm so happy that we're, we're chatting you. about this. So you start the company based around the flies. And what, what are you called at this point? Are you Teeny Inc.? Or are you just Teeny it was, Flies? Uh, it was uh, the Teeny Nymph Company. Okay. But the problem is why we eventually changed it to Jim Teeny Inc., because if if you put in teeny, you come up with a porn site. Oh, oh. <laughs> <clears throat> pretty much like teeny boppers, teeny whatever. Oh God! <clears throat> you know, think about that, of course. And so and so we thought, hmm, that isn't us because this no, is no, it's fu- definitely this, not you. This guys. is this is this is funny. So so in, and when we had our you know and everything in here and the phones ringing, you can always tell when a traveling businessman. Would call up says, "Well, just is it? Uh, what is? What exactly do you guys do there?" Um. <laughs> and then, and then the girls would go, "Well, what are you looking for?" <laughs> we play with flies. Yeah. <laughs> so great. anyway, it was funny. You know, it's just uh, that's kind of how that went. So, were you planning on selling the flies as well then? 
were you going to have a bunch of people tie them or were you just not until I went to the patent attorney and then got the you know the the patents and it wasn't because I didn't want to share the pattern I was happy to share the pattern I was worried about the companies that were already building flies that would steal the pattern and just stop us from ever getting started. Right. So you weren't looking to sell the pattern to a company like Umqua. You were planning on being your own version of an Umqua. So then, I mean, this, and this is great. This is how a lot of, you know, businesses expand and grow. So Mm -hmm. when did you, how long were you primarily focused on flies before you thought, you know what, we're going to branch into another area of fly fishing? Well, I'll tell you what happened is uh, the fly, The fly. I thought it was just going to be a million-dollar deal, you know. But the problem that I had, and this would include my friend Denny Records, you know, the Stillwater Fisherman. Okay. People, when they got onto the pattern, they kept it a secret. They didn't share it. Oh. So it never really took off. And, and personally, if you went to a fly shop and you looked on the shelves and you saw that, you wouldn't get it because it's not that good looking. Right. You know what I mean? It didn't. It was just, oh, well, you know, it's brown and ugly. And yeah, it's not tied for... It's not tied for eye appeal, Mm-mm. but it had fish appeal. Um, the next thing that I did after the flies was I I read an article, and I wished I, I really could remember, but it was in one of the big three magazines. So it was either Field and Stream, Sports of Field, or Outdoor Life. This guy said, and this is prior uh, to the teeny nip, just a little. He says, if you want to catch more bigger fish consistently buy yourself a set of polarized glasses get a sinking line and fish wet flies nymphs or streamers and you know what i agreed with all of what he said i thought wow this is good information went out and got my first set of polarized glasses my first sinking line was a gladding glenn l evans line and uh, i did everything that he said so that's kind of what, what that, I remember the article well because it made sense to me. Because I really, I really, you know, uh, Joe Brooks, the late Joe Brooks, he was kind of like, he was the mentor for me, the one that I, I would read his articles and I would see him holding up a giant brown trout from South America or two big brookies, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, God darn it, I'm getting trout, but I'm not getting trout like that. So, you know, you know I'd like, I wanted to go to Argentina really mm-hmm. bad. Mm-hmm. And, um, but he kind of inspired me on the fly fishing end of it. That was my kickstart. And then uh, there were just a few people that had caught a steelhead on a fly, and they mostly seemed to be kind of from either uh, Seattle area or um, maybe Northern California. Yeah, that sounds right. Those were the kind of the, but nothing here, nothing Yeah, you're an Oregon boy from born and raised, yeah? Yes, born and raised. Yeah, I mean, nobody here, I mean, people would feel sorry for me in the winter with my fly rod on the stream. They'd look at me thinking, oh, this poor guy's <laughs> mentally disturbed. And then I'd hook one, and then they, then they, they'd stop, you know, and then, and then if I hooked another one and they go, wait a minute. And the next time, a lot of times, these are people that were friends that we met on the river, you know, through the years. Next thing you know, they're packing a fly rod. I'm not surprised. So isn't it? I mean, they're like, you know, is there, there's something to it. So I, I just, I can just tell you stories about flies. I just think flies are so deadly. They are just, when you fish them right and you present them right there, there's nothing better. And I, I mean, there's been times Many times where you outfish bait and everything else. And well, how, how is a teeny nymph presented? I mean, you're not fishing it on an indicator, are you? I've never, in, you know what, this is just me personally. <clears throat> I have never in my life indicator fished. I made a promise to God that I wouldn't do that. And why not? Because I don't think that's really not, it's not, this is the number one reason is that I don't want to miss the strike. I love the grab. I, I mean, it's that split second for me when my fly's either swinging or drifting that I feel that take and I set up. I says, there he is. I got him. Fish on. That's. I don't want to watch a bobber and then see it go down and then set up. It, to me, the skill level is not... I know it's deadly. I'm not disputing that. And, and I know that most of the guides now... For trout, for sure, they, that's what they do because it's easy. They snag up less, they, they just drift along, and their bobber goes down, watch the bobber. So for eight hours, you're watching the bobber, right? I just love the grab. That's me. Is it super subtle? Because I'm, I'm very inexperienced with nymph fishing in general. 
uh, especially without, and I'm not an indicator angler as well, but I'm certainly not a talented nymph angler. So you're holding your, your line with your line hand, you're holding your line. And mm-hmm. then what if it's a really subtle take? How do you feel that? So what we, you know, what I always do when I, <clears throat> when I'm fishing, whether I'm in a lake or uh, a stream or river, you know, I cast out and then I, I have my rod about parallel with the water mm-hmm. and, and, and I line watch and then I just, I just, my my rod tip will follow the line. So you watch the tip so, of your line. Yeah, and I have my line through these two fingers. So, you know, when I'm holding it like this, but your your fingertips are, are sensitive. Yeah. And so you can feel if it's a leaf or a rock or a stick or, or a fish. I mean, you, you can feel really, really well. But I, I'm never high sticking like this mm-hmm. because the bow in the, in the line allows me not to be direct. I mean, if I got a strike and, I'm, and my arm's up here, plus your arm gets tired. Mm-hmm. You know, but if you're up here like this, you don't have a lot of room to... Yeah, there's no room to, to But when you're down here, I mean, you're really on it. Yeah. And so, and you can detect them. I'll I tell you, nymph fishing is, it's amazing. It's deadly. You it, know? it is deadly. Yeah. yeah. And, and what we do with king salmon is unbelievable. Well, tell me I've about... thousands. Tell me about this, because there's, there's several different viewpoints on king salmon. I mean obviously, I don't know if you know this, I guided on the Dean for five years. Mm-hmm. And when the water was really clear, we had a really difficult time catching Chinook kings. And we almost always fish these huge flies. So when I have clients come to me and they say, I want to fish this, you know, a small pattern for a Chinook, um, I'm almost, I mean, I'll let them if they want to, but I've never seen a Chinook caught on a small fly, let alone a nymph. So what's, how does it work? Well, I mean, it's really a, it's a good question, and I think I, um, to be honest with you, I I grew up fishing kings, not for them first. I was steelhead fishing, but it's all started on the Kalama River in, mm-hmm. in Southwest Washington, mm-hmm. and 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 we would we would and black was the best color. I mean, starting out, there was no other color but black. That I mean, if you just put a black teeny nymph on in a size four or a two, you you were going to hook a king. If they were out there, you were gonna. They were gonna bite it. Was the water clear when you were fishing? Mm-hmm. The water was clear. Okay. And then, and then I had a guide um, from up in the up in Alaska. Uh, interestingly, send me a uh, an email, and I think we were gonna post it. I don't know if we posted it yet, but it was so cool because he goes, uh, uh, much like what you were saying. He says, Jim. He says, I want you to know. He says, I've got a couple of anglers I've been guiding through the years, and. Uh, and I, and I tell and they wanted the king salmon fly fish, and I said, "Well, these are the flies I use." This no, we only want to use teeny flies. So I, I to me that means they've already had success. Mm-hmm. And he says, through the years, he says, "I just want you to know that I've never seen so many king salmon hooked." And he says, "I put I play, I did my patterns along with them, but it was never close." So he says, so at the end of the trips, I would get flies from them and I would hoard them for myself, <laughs> is what he said. So, so, and then Lefty Cray, I, you know, Lefty, in 95, we were on the, we were on the Connectock River with Dave Duncan and Sons and John Randolph from the Fly Fisherman, he was there and we were all, you know, all together and uh, fishing and Lefty said to the customers there that were all in our group and, and to the guides and everything, he didn't say this to me, but he said, I think Jim could be the best fly fisherman for King Salmon in the world. Wow, that's a compliment. From Lefty, it's a compliment. Whether it's true or not, I just I can just tell you that I have pursued them. So, I mean, are you sight fishing? Can you see them physically? No, taken? not all the time. Yeah, but all, a lot of times, yeah. Have you yeah. ever had criticism about the smaller flies? Well, you know what? I think so. I mean, I think people have said that, there's either there's lining fish or flossing or whatever. The most criticism that I that I've seen was back in 1975. Mm-hmm. Went to uh, went my first trip to Alaska, and it was uh, a friend that we met, Bob Morton. He had uh, a North uh, North Country Outfitters out of Iliamna, Alaska. And Bob, uh, we met him. Uh, Donna and I met him at the Bighorn Sportsman Show in Spokane. He goes, Jim, you need to go to Alaska. And I says, really, Bob? He goes, yes, you need to do that. And so anyway, we put it together. When we first got there to Iliamitiz Lodge, he said, um, 
uh, we got to get our licenses. So we went and got our license. And then he says, well, you guys want to go, you know, fishing now just for a little bit. And, and um, I was with a, a gentleman named Jim Hodson, who was a dentist from Redmond. And we said, well, what, what, what kind of salmon are running now? And he goes, well, sockeye salmon are running now. But he says they won't bite so you can snag them. And I looked at the guys and I said, well, I didn't come to Alaska to snag fish. No. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I didn't, you know, I mean, that isn't why I came to Alaska. It wasn't even how I pictured Alaska. No. You know? So we went, they drove us on the end of the road. We went up to a place called, uh, where Alexi Creek pours into the big New Halen River. And, um, th- and so we got out and it was real tall grass. So you had to be real careful waiting. And we got to the edge of it and I looked out with our Polaroids and I looked and all I could see was, I don't know, hundreds, just hundreds of these fish. And I couldn't even remember the name of them. And I says to Hudson, I said, well, that must be those salmon they're talking about. Well, there's no way I'm not going to get one of those. Like, you know what I mean? So I just, I, I literally, you know, tied on a fly. And I think back then it probably was our burgundy color. Yeah. And, and I threw it out there with our, with, you know, the sink tip just letting it come down like this. And the line stopped, and I set the hook right in the mouth. Sockeye. They said if we got lucky and got some, to bring some back. Well, we, we brought five back, but we released probably 20. We had a ball in a few hours. I mean, literally. And so the next, uh, that evening we got back there. Well, the word had gotten out. And, um, and they said, well, where do you want to go tomorrow? And he says, well, we want to go right back where we oh, were because that's what we said. We want to, and so the game warden came by. He says, "Would you mind if uh, if I went with you guys?" Or you know, and we said, "Absolutely not." You know, so he came in in his float plane, landed in the Big New Halen River, and was right below us and threw lures. Never hooked one fish. He watched us release probably sixty-five to seventy sockeyes, and he and then and he told us. He says, this could be the start of a brand new fishery for the state of Alaska. So we got IGFA to make them a game fish. We've held several world records on sockeyes. And for the people that are disbelievers and don't think they'll bite, they're wrong. They will bite if they're schooled up. George and I were chatting about this earlier. If they're schooled up together, I know when I used to guide, I've seen them bite. Where it became difficult was when I would have clients who would catch them and they'd be right in the corner of the maxillary and you could tell by the way the line was that those fish were lined but there were other fish who we'd seen yeah. attack the fly so it's a it's a fine line because you'll have some people listening right now who are rolling their eyes going no way they're all sockeye or flossed but it is it is possible that they do take flies so it's a tough one I've watched them. I've watched them chase our fly. Right. I mean, I physically, I visually watched them come across the current of their mouth going like this to grab our fly. I mean, that's not flossing. No. You know what I mean? No. And so, uh, and, and our, our daughter, uh, Wendy, she got one, and uh, by length and girth, it was 17 pounds. A sockeye? Yeah. It's the largest. I mean, the largest recorded is 16 this exceeded it by a pound. It, it was, uh, she was so excited. I said, honey, I said, I fish sockeye, love sockeye so much. I, I, and I've, I tell people, honestly, if you go to Alaska and the only fish you catch are sockeye salmon, when you come home, you will not be disappointed. Coming up, Jim opens up about some unknown business slumps and even allows me to take the conversation into both the snagging and dry fly topics. After the show, please take a moment to visit Thump Coffee at www.thumpcoffee.com. That's T-H-U-M-P coffee.com. The guiding principle for Thump is a strongly held belief in doing things the right way. Not because doing things the right way is the best way to market coffee, but because it's the best way to be a human in this world. Now, how refreshing is that? I honestly couldn't do these podcasts without the support of such fantastic people. Please take a minute to show them your thanks by stopping by the shop or ordering their coffee beans online. So you have the company. Mm-hmm. You're doing amazing with the teeny nymphs. Yeah. We're... So what's, I mean, was that your full-time job? No. You know what? Um, back in um, 1965, 
Uh, just prior to that, I was working at Albertson's uh, grocery stores for like two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was a little kid, my uh, my mom and dad owned and operated. They built the Academy Theater in, down in, in uh, Montevella in downtown Portland. Wow. In, or in Portland city limits, actually not downtown. And so anyway, I'd worked there from when I was 12 to 14. And I was thinking, okay, well, I'd like to have the theater for my business. So this Van Arbitage, who was the camera, uh, the uh, projectionist, he he bought the business from mom and dad and for years ran the company. And then I was going to buy it from Van when time came up. Well, it, it came around a little early because he, he let it go and let the kids kind of take over, you know, the local kids. Mm-hmm. And so he just wanted to get out of it. So anyway, I, I, I took over and owned and operated the Academy Theater for six years. So that's where I got hooked on movies and popcorn. It was way, way long. So, so, and I did that from 20 to 26. But the last year of having the theater, I, this is really going to be funny for you, you know, when I tell you this. The last year of having the theater was when I started to see if there was a business here. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, that would have been 71. So it would have been 70. So... Uh, when I started July 1 of, of 71, I still had the theater. And from that time till the end of the year, six months, mm-hmm. I sold $1,800 worth of teeny flies. And I thought, there's a business here. In six months, I did $1,800. So that's like $300 a month. And that's I thought, there's a business. It, it, uh, no. What were you thinking? I don't know. I have no idea. The time I just thought, I just thought, wow, there's a business here. So anyway, I started that. Well, I sold the theater then after that year, but I kept the theater just in case. And then I sold the theater with that, and I got thirty five thousand for that, and that was my money that fueled me to get started and do the business. You are either crazy or brilliant it's <laughs> one or the other that's amazing so yeah. when did you meet when did you meet donna then well i met donna um in uh, june 22nd that's her birthday ah. but june 22nd in 1972 okay so so and you... she came to the theater no 71 so she came to the theater to tie flies and i had been in business a year Okay, so I have 72. to ask you questions about this because it, it makes sense now. So you didn't have any dependents and, and you were a single man when you started the company and figured mm-hmm. that $300 a month was, was a business. That's, <laughs> well, that's just confident. That's different. Yeah. That's okay. So you were teaching tying? Is that why she came no. to the theater? Why did she come oh, to the Oh, no. I, I had just started our company basically and I was looking for fly tires. And, uh, and so uh, she got wind of it and... Um, her and her husband then got yeah. wind of it, and so she came down on her birthday, and I showed her how to tie this fly. And, Amazing! Yeah, and then she she made it beautiful because I, mine were not that good at ties. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So she brought a little class into the. Yeah, the she company. does that. She's very she's a very classy lady. Thank you, thank you. That's amazing. Okay, so then how long did you stick primarily with the flies before you expanded into your next venture? Probably about. Um, Maybe just a year or two. Okay. Because the next thing that I did was, um, and these are a lot of things that you won't know, April, because it's not all that public knowledge, but I popularized polarized glasses. That doesn't surprise me, you know. After watching that video of I Spot Him, I Got Him, that doesn't surprise me. I was was on the cutting edge. The only, I wanted to have um, glasses made. The only company in the U.S. of making glasses was Foster Grant back then. And they made a, a polarized glass, and I called them up and asked if I've got a design for glasses. Would you uh, would you make them? And they says, "Well, we're we're not happy with our sales on ours. We're thinking about dropping them." Huh. And so my rep Ben Silknetter here in Portland uh, got me in touch with Bollet in France that makes ski goggles. We had one time. I mean, this may not sound like a lot, but just think back in the early seventies. Mm-hmm. One time from Bollet, we ordered eight thousand pair of glasses. Wow, that was huge. But the problem is, and where I fell short, is I didn't realize how important style and design was that you needed to do that. Our glasses were absolutely awesome. They looked like 
Batman glasses. That, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they weren't they weren't good looking. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, the only reason we stopped that one was at one uh, one time we're at a sports show, and this guy comes bopping up to our booth, and he's all giddy and excited. God, I love your glasses, Jimmy. He says they're so good. He says, and they really cut the fog when I'm driving. And I went. Wait, what? Well, you're not supposed to be driving with those. Your peripheral vision is yeah. is very reduced, you know. Yeah, but God, do they work? I mean, you can. And I thought to Donna, I says, well, that just scared the heck out of me. I says, maybe we better not. Maybe we better make a full size lens because, <laughs> you, well, you know what I'm saying. I mean, this guy's yeah. driving with him. That wasn't too cool. So that then we then we went to full size, but we had a little screw where you could separate the frame and change the lenses out. But we, you know, and had side shields, and they, and they were they were nicer, definitely. But uh, we just let it slip, and then all the other eyeglass companies came in, and yeah. you know, and uh, they just took over. And uh, and then I designed a vest that was just uh, a fishing vest that just as the, with the I got a U.S. patent on it. How? Because, How can you patent a vest? Because right here in the you know do you know of Maggie Merriman? Do yes. you remember? Okay, yeah. so. We we gave a vest to Maggie Merriman years ago, right? Right. And she had it, and she had it for a year, and she goes, oh, Jimmy, I just love your vest. It's working so good, because we fished together, and we got her first steelhead on the Clackamas and years ago, and and, uh, and I said, well, Maggie, I said, did you ever get a, did you ever use your hood in there, you know, when it was starting to rain? She goes, she goes, I don't have a hood. I said, yeah, you do. No, I don't. So she brought her vest over, and I took the little Velcro and just separated on the collar and I pulled out a hood with a tie down on it. And she goes, Oh my God, I never knew that was there. She said, Oh, so you could patent that. I did. did I, the, the design of the hood, it was concealed. You never even knew it was there. Was that already existing in jackets? No. So mm-hmm. did people who put this that have been in the mid seventies, early seventies. Yeah. So when people decided to put them in jackets, did you have any say in that? I mean, was that no, your patent or just, no, I, no, I, I just, I don't know if I did or didn't. So what came yeah. next? So now we've got flies, glasses, and they're and, branded and, and as TV glasses, or are they branded as No, they were called, we called them locators. They oh. were they were my design. By TV, yeah, loca- mm-hmm. And then you've got the vest, and then what came next? Um, I'm not sure. I know the fly lines came in 1983. Okay, so... This is an interesting story, though. Well, the fly lines are what I really... Those are my meat and potatoes. I really want to get into the fly line subject with well, you. Well, I can, I can just be absolutely 100% honest with you, and I'll, I'll run you right through it. And, Do it. And so, <clears throat> probably five or six years prior to 83... We were, as all the anglers were, cutting, splicing, doing whatever you had to do to make a, something that you could cast out, try to sink, whatever. Uh, and, and, I, and, I need, and I don't mean to be sidetracked here, but uh, Howard West used to be in charge of scientific anglers. Howard West wanted to fish with me way back. He came out, and I took him to, we were winter steelhead fishing, and we caught some fish. And uh, and he and then we were having dinner and he goes, so Jim, he said, what do you think of our sinking lines? And I says, well, Howard, I says, all you have is the the, uh, you know, a sinking line. I says it may be the best in the market today. Mm-hmm. But I said, if you want to fish Oregon, Washington, British Columbia, you know, a lot of our bigger rivers. I said, you need a line that will sink up to three times faster no. than your, your, your sinking line now, your high D line, whatever. Mm-hmm. I said, because I don't want to have to cast a mile upstream to get down in front of me. I don't want to have to put split shot on my leader to get the fly down. Mm-hmm. I said, so that would be a huge improvement. So the very first deep water express lines that SA made were sent to me, and it tripled my fish hookup. Tripled. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now I was getting into the zone because I really liked to winter. I loved winter fly fishing. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that. But I love summer too. I mean, it's not like, but it was different. Summer's yeah, different. different. But winter fishing, this is, you know, what I, I just felt the closer you could get the fly and make a better presentation, you're probably going to hook more fish. So that was how that, that all started. And, and so we were cut, you know, cutting and splicing. So here's what I did you take a, a standard 30 foot shooting head. They were tapered at the end, tapered at the end. I whacked four feet off and four feet off, mm. or actually three and three, three and three. So I took the tapers off, 
And then I Albrighted on like a level running line. Oh. So I had a 24-foot head, which was so much easier to handle than a full 30. Right. If you're in, you know, if you're in a river where you have to roll cast or you don't have that freedom of making that big, long cast, mm-hmm. um, the 24-foot head is really good. Mm-hmm. And so that's why my original T-Series ended up that. But so anyway, I made those. And then... For SA, though. No, just for me. Oh, okay. For fishing. But I, but I told them, I gave them a report about these heads. I said, these are really awesome. Yeah. And so uh, so after a couple of years, I, I thought, well, I want you to make a line for me. I don't want you to make it for yourself, for Orbis, or anybody else, just me. And I said, this is what I want to have made. I want to make a shooting head with a running line, all one piece. It's fully integrated. Yeah. So this is five or six years prior to when I came out with them. Bruce Richards came back and said, Jim, I don't think we can make it, and I don't think it'll work. Why? His exact words. So I just let it go because I don't know that their technology was quite there yet. So I waited until I could see that everybody's getting a little bit more techie and this and that. And so then in... uh, uh, it was in uh, 1983, so it was just prior to that. I said, I want you to make a line for me, just for me. Because then, in the original, when I first approached him, I didn't want a line. I says, I'll sell them for you. I'll sell these lines like crazy for scientific anglers. Mm-hmm. But they didn't think they could make them and didn't think it would work. Well, I knew they'd work because I was making them. Mm-hmm. Problem is, I didn't like the, the, the knot. You know, the Albright mm-hmm. or Loop or whatever you did, you know, because if you got it into your guides. Yeah. And then sometimes you go to cast and then it didn't go and you had to make sure it was beyond. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to eliminate all of that. So so then uh, when I asked them to do that, they you have to buy like a private label. Back then I had to buy a thousand lines. Doesn't sound like a lot, but we were. It is a lot. We were just flies and glasses, and now we're bringing in this fly line. And so, and it's a very specialty line. So they discouraged me to do it because they were worried. Ben Silknetter, who was our rep then, discouraged me to do it. And I said, well, Ben, he says, who are you going to sell them to, Jim? A thousand. And I says, well... I says, you know, because I had to, I had to order that much a year, you know. Mm-hmm. And I says, I'll tell you, Ben. I says, Doug Stewart will put him in his fly shop, you know. And he goes, Well, that's great, Jimmy. So who are you going to sell the other nine hundred and seventy? Yeah, because this is before online shopping. I mean, oh, way before, way, yeah. way, way. And and I and so I I put it off for probably a month or two, and then one morning I woke up with Donna, and I says, You know, I'm going to go ahead and do it. And she goes, You're going to do what? I said, I'm going to make those fly lines because I just, they're every, we all need these lines. These lines are changing the industry. They'll change the world. They'll change what we can do with fly fishing. And so um, I got a hold of them. I said, this is what I want. They made them in April. I am so proud that we sold almost 4,000 in the first year. Wow. Yeah. Good it was amazing. It, cha- it just changed. We really did change the industry and fly fishing. And that's exactly what I was chatting about with George. Yeah. He said the exact same thing. Did he? Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, what it did, it gave us a chance to reach fish that we never could. If you went up now, I'm not saying they wouldn't catch fish, but if you went up now to Alaska with just a floating line and you were king salmon fishing or something like that, you may get one or two, but you're not going to rack them up. And we've had, well, anyway, I'm not trying to get sidetracked, but making those lines and lefty cray told me he went down to the rio grande have you been down there i've been to rio gallegos but not oh i haven't been there i haven't been where you've been yeah but we uh, but lefty went down there before i had been down there it was one it's like my bucket list dream thing right yeah and lefty goes and this is exactly he calls me up jimmy and i says why lefty says i just says on the rio grande and and i just started drilling I'm like, oh, yeah, Lefty, so tell me about those browns. And he goes, Jimmy, he says, I outfished everybody at the lodge because I had a T-300 with me. And I says, really? And he goes, because it was windy, I could cast and hit the far bank. 
you know, he says, and nobody else could. And he, then he, and he goes on and he says, but the guide wouldn't let me leave with that line because he had never seen anything like it. Of course, right. And so, and I, and I, this is what I said. I said, so lefty, I says, do you want another T-300? And he goes, hell yes. Yes. <laughs> so he go, and then he's told me since, he says, Jimmy, I don't go anywhere without a, a T-300, anywhere. He says, it saved me in so many different trips, whether it's stripers or whatever it is. It's, you know, I always have it with me as a staple. I know people you know? who swear by that line. They love it. I yeah. mean, and I know that when we were on the Kispiox, I mean, well, I could go in. There's so many. It, it, it just, well, here's an example. Yeah. That year, in 83, we're up on the Connect Dog. I'm fishing with Irwin Brown, the vice president of uh, 3M Company. And, and he's got a T300 on. He goes, so Jim, he says, I just want you to know, this is the best casting sinking line I've ever fished. And I says, well, thank you, Irwin. I says, I consider that a compliment. And, and he fished for another four or five minutes, and then he stopped and he looked at me. He goes, why didn't we think of this? Which I knew what he meant. Why didn't Why didn't Bruce Richards or scientific anglers think of this? I offered it to him five or six years earlier, right? And they said they couldn't do it. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. But I but I but I could see his mind was busy in it. I bet because, it was. And and so it, it, it's it's a it's a great story because the lines are just Donna. I don't know if you know this, but Donna, we're up out of Seward, Alaska, and we're fishing for sea bass and lingcod and whatever and then we were going to try for halibut so we were in between the tide slack tide right donna had a ts 750 on one of our lines she's down a hundred feet deep the line was straight up and down like this because there was no current you know right she gets how a long halibut. does that take to sink down there not that long and she gets a halibut so just to clarify in my mind sa made the lines for you at yes. a good cost and then you were able to package them as your own, sell them as your own. You were in complete charge of them. Yeah. All they did was make them for you. Yeah. With an okay. agreement that they wouldn't make them for themselves or anybody else. That, Jim, I'm so happy it worked out like that. It, it Only for 10 years. Okay. And so then they, then they, what happened after 10 years? Well, I mean, you can you can edit and do whatever you want, but I'm, I'll tell you the straight story. Only if you want me to edit it. <clears throat> well... I, uh, this is what I this I'll tell you exactly how it came down. Okay, and okay, just so I'm on record, can I use it? Yeah, you can use it. Okay. Okay. So the sales reps would always come in and say, "We need a teeny line. We 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 can't keep up with that. He's got the the market, and then the second we don't have anything close to that line." And they always, for the first 10 years, the good people that were there, they said, nope, this is our agreement with Jim, and we're going to honor that. And so for 10 years, they did. Now, I think that they got to a certain point that probably somebody somewhere said, do whatever you got to do, but make their lines defective. Make Uh. something wrong. So we never, it was rare. I was personally offended when we got a line back because our lines were they were industry. They were just perfect in the beginning, perfect. And so, and what I did is I had a supreme finish. I didn't have any of the ultras or anything. I wanted the floating to be supreme because it was a good line. Then all of a sudden, we started getting some lines back, and the coating was slipping a little bit where they where, where they went from floating to sinking. And and I immediately called up Bruce. I said, Bruce, said, what's going on? I says. I says, oh, I'm getting some lines back, and this isn't good, you know. And he goes, well, we're, do- we're experimenting. And I says, Bruce, do not experiment with my lines. I says, do you know what I want with my lines? I've never asked to change them. Do not change them. Well, that went on for probably two or three years, and it caused our sales to level and start to drop because oh, words no. getting out that they weren't holding up, and we even lost the fly shop in Reading. Oh no! Uh, they're, they're yeah, they're a huge yeah, contract. I know we lost that because that that was the only lines. That, I mean, our lines were the line. You know, everybody would go with them. Was there but, anyone else making a fully integrated sink tip into into a fly line with running line? Not them. Mm-mm. Just you guys. Yeah, we were the only ones. And and so anyway, once our sales started to drop, then they sent out, it was either two or three people from Scientific Anglers came out, and I signed a contract with them, allowing them to make them for themselves and Orvis and anybody else, and they were paying me a royalty for five years. Mm-hmm. 
And that's this true story. That's exactly how it came down. But after that, then they start, then, then immediately they were back on track again. They were good. Oh. Yeah. It, I mean. It's an interesting story. Very, I it. Well, you know, I mean, it's, it, I'm calling a spade a spade mm-hmm. is what it was. Yeah. And, and they did what they needed to do to get me, you know, get out of their agreement with me. And it was a handshake. It wasn't a contract or anything. And I like doing business that way because yeah. we're, that's. I mean, you're only as good as your word. Yeah. And the people that were there early were very good. So moving forward, where are you at with Teeny Lines? Well, you know what? Uh, what we're doing right now, we're, we're, we're doing well, but we're trimming down some of our lines. Mm-hmm. Because you got to look at, I think you look at, well, how many do you sell in the year of this one? Are you selling a lot of three weights? You know what I'm saying? So what we're doing is we're trying to condense. And I, I talked with the people at Cortland who are making our lines for us now. They're doing the same thing. I would assume that SA is doing the same, and so is Rio. Well, any smart you know? business person would Yeah, because, uh, but we're, we're trying to really stay, but we're, we're, we're still on the cutting edge of lines. And all the other companies, they watch what I do. They always have, and they've, because... We're coming up with something new or doing something different. and and um, But that's what I want to do. That's what I enjoy doing is bringing to the table something new. So let's talk about Teeny Brand today because this is what I see in my head. I got into the industry and Teeny was legendary. I mean, when I met you at the show, I had the shakes and you guys were so strong. And then you kind of disappeared a little bit. Yes. And then it feels like all of a sudden Jim Teeny's back. What is happening? Well, you know what? Uh, my run isn't done. I can tell. I just, I mean, I, I love the sport of fly fishing. I, in, in many ways, I feel like I'm just getting started yeah. again. And, uh, and it's fun because um, the, um, the, the sport is, it just takes you to different places. And look at how you've traveled and and. Thank God I've traveled and we've done all these wonderful things and we met wonderful people that share the same common interest. And so I just want to continue to design new lines and, you know, we've got our rods and and I designed a reel years ago. And um, I mean, there's things that I want to do and there's places I want to I want to be at. And and uh, and I hope that the the end is a long, long ways away because you know, I'm, I mean, I know I'm going to be 70, but I don't act it or feel it. Yeah. You know, that, I mean, it's it, just, ages. I think age is a number mm-hmm. and you just either, you know, you either go with it or you don't. Some people don't go with it. I'm going with it. Yeah, you I'm should. okay. You should. Yeah. And honest, honestly, yeah. you, you look tanned. You look, you look excellent. You look like Thank you're, you. you're doing very well. I wouldn't have guessed you were almost 70. Yeah. So I've seen some of the rebranding and your name. I mean, your logo looks amazing. Thank you. You you do like that. I I promise you, it looks amazing. Thank so you. when did that? When was that? Just in play? very currently, these guys. They're it's H and H Outdoors, and they're over in Forest Grove, Oregon, and they're rebranding us. Basically, I mean, re you know we're we're bringing back Teeny in a different way, and I think that in a. I, I don't really want to say the name of the line yet until we do it. No, that's okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for, for so, sure. Well, only because that if somebody you have that, that would steal it and, with your experience, yeah. I'm going to say that you should be very yeah. very wise. So, with but that. but we're we're on the right track right now to really making a difference, and we're trying. We want to get the younger people like you. Mm-hmm. Though those are the those are the people that we missed because I guess I guess I I coasted for a little while thinking. You know, once you get to the top, you think you're going to stay there, but that's not how it is. You've got to keep your name brand and everything going. And I mean, you know, I, I refocused a little bit, but it wasn't a bad refocus because I'm a very big family person, love family. And then once we had our the grandkids come yeah. into our lives, they're so much fun. I'm telling you, we, you know, it's a different deal. But now they're gro- they're growing up. I'm back. I love that you're back. I'm, I'm so back. excited about I'm, this. I'm back. So are you so, a distributor then, or do you have somebody who's a distributor? I'm assuming that big room there means you're the distributor. Yeah, we're the sole distributor of our, our Jim Teeny signature rod. We take care of our international sales. That's where we're really strong. Yeah, so you are you are international then. We've been for a long... I don't I can't remember when we went international, but... Well, see, here's the deal. Not not People don't know this. But it's really, it's, it's information. Way back when I started the lines in 83, 
There was no real company back then. In, in 83, they weren't here. We made thousands of fly lines that were spay lines, but they never landed in the U.S. They all went to Europe. We, d we just sent them over to the uh, to Scandinavian countries and, you know, and everything, and Norway and Iceland and whatever. Yeah. But we did that for years, but I never really personally got into Spain. And, and I'm, I'm still not there yet. Do you want to be? You know, I don't know yet. But what I'm doing with my 10-foot rod, the five-piece, I'm getting closer. I'm making it a switch rod. Oh, okay. So the new ones, when we get them, they're going to have a three-inch butt extension instead of just a one-inch. So you can do that. So I'm getting closer, April. Right. You know, so, and, uh, but I, I, I just... I don't know, and, and I, there's a lot of questions about Spay that I have, and I know that there's no way I can achieve the distance. You know what I mean? But you don't so, need the distance for what you're doing. I mean, Jim, you're not what, famous as a competition caster. When no. I think about when I think about you, I mean, Jim Teeny is an angler. Your videos, your book, everything about you to me is about being a solid and efficient angler. Thank you. So no, thank you. So you don't need to have distance. You need yeah. to have fundamentals. I think for you, if you were going to get into any sort of switch rods or any sort of a spay cast, because you can do a spay cast with a single hand rod. Yep, I did, but I didn't know what I was doing at the time. Yeah, I would exactly. bring it over and boom and shoot. Exactly. For a roll cast, you know. Yeah, just a dynamic roll uh -huh. cast. And I think for you, with your way of fishing, by casting further, you'd just be limiting yourself because you wouldn't be able to feel the takes, would you? Not as easy. No. I don't think so, you know. I, I, this is kind of funny, but oh God, I can't remember his name, but years ago for the outdoor press in, in Spokane, he said, and and, uh, and Fred Peterson from the outdoor press, he's passed right now, but he, he wrote this in there from what this other guy said, that I could cast 85 feet and snag fish in the mouth. I was casting 85 feet and snagging fish in the mouth. I don't understand. I don't either. I, mean, I was pretty proud of that. First of all, that I could cast 85 feet back then, that was a really long cast for me. You know what I mean? Seriously. And plus then have the skill to snag a fish in the mouth. I was thinking, wow, that's some, but isn't that funny? It's talented. I, well, I don't know where that came on. Then, and then I had another time, like the Sandy River right here. Right. People said they saw me fishing a side planer with a fly rod. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, you know okay, how, you know but what you know what, Jim, I gotta like if we're gonna go there, we don't need to go. One there. of the things that I just I get directed to things that people write about me, and I can honestly tell you that probably two thirds of the rumors I hear about myself are in rivers I've never fished, countries I've never been, um, people I've never met. Two thirds of the time, people have these amazingly interesting and gossip you know, juicy know. stories about me and they're not even me. So the same thing with you. I mean, maybe yeah. there was a guy who looked like you with a side planer or whatever it's called. But you know what? I don't even, just don't even. Don't oh, even. you know what? They, they don't bother me anymore. <laughs> I, I actually, at this point now, you know, I mean, because I'm, gosh, I've been in the industry almost 44 years. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, whatever. Yeah. It's not a big deal. I know what I'm doing. I know it's right. And, you know, and, and, having fun so I'm not I'm not going to change did you ever think about getting into guiding I did we did Donna and I were actually licensed guides in Oregon here for three years back around 85 to 88 why didn't it stick well you, that's a really good question but let me tell you why <laughs> when I guided I think we were a hundred percent of getting people into either steelhead or salmon or trout or bass or whatever we never had a dry trip ever mm -hmm. but when I guided, I never fished, and I loved to fish. And then I finally got, and, and, and the extra income was wonderful. I mean, it was really nice. Mm -hmm. But I thought, God, you know, I, I said, I'm out on the water, and I'm not being able to fish, and um, I think I'm going to save that for the guides. Yeah. And so I just, I, and so we stopped guiding, and that was the reason. I get it. I get it. I, I told myself I'd put in 10 years of guiding. And I did exactly 10 years. And I last year was year 10. And uh, I'm not going this year. You're really not? Nope. But you built, but see what it did for you is it elevated you to, whoa, she's a professional. This gal knows what she's doing. But, you know, here's, here's what I found in guiding. Some of the people that I guided mm 
mm-hmm. are, are my lifetime friends now. Exactly. And I have the same thing. And, and yeah, don't get me wrong, the guiding company is still going strong. And I still have guides who guide mm-hmm. for me. Um, it's just not me doing the guiding. But those friends that you're, that you're speaking of, I mean, you can't, those, those friendships are irreplaceable. They absolutely are. Yeah. Absolutely. So that, that is something I definitely do miss about it. But it's only been, it's only been six months so we'll see how I feel. Isn't that something? You'll probably, <clears throat> probably part of you will miss it, but then there's another part as you don't have the pressure. Yeah, yeah, I definitely don't miss it. So your time will be a little more your time. I like <clears throat> finally having a little bit of time. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's just talk a little bit about your DVD then. Really, the main ones right now, I, the Catching More Steel. That's the one we, I have. We did that back in '87. Uh, in '86. But what I'm really proud of is the first video that I attempted, and it was through Scientific Anglers. That that video won the Teddy Roosevelt Award for the best fishing video for the nation in 87. Seriously? Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. That's amazing. No, I was so excited because what what I wanted to do on that video was to show people that on public waters that what you could do because scientific anglers asked me, they said, well, where do you want to go, Jim? Do you want to go to Alaska, British Columbia? I says, I want to do it within an hour of my home, mm-hmm. in, you know, in, like in Portland, Oregon, just an hour. So whatever. And, and that's what we did. So we never, but if you watch that, you, you know, I never named where we were. Yeah, no, it wasn't about. Be- it wasn't about, it was all about technique. It wasn't about. You know, hey, we're on the Kalama <laughs> yeah, River. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm standing on this rock. And th- those kind of videos, they, they build enemies. Because if, if that's somebody's very favorite spot, and here you now you're, you're publicizing, it, it, it's really wrong. Mm-hmm. You just need to let them do their groundwork and figure it out. So, so we, did, we, did, we filmed on the Kalama, the Wind, and the Washougal in Washington, and then the Salmon, Sandy, and Clackamas in Oregon. That's all within an hour of where we're at now. What's your trick to landing a big king fast or quickly? Well, you know what? I fight him uh, more sideways, you know, like this. Me too. You know, and like this. Downstream. Yeah, yeah. kind of like what you do for tarpon and stuff. But if if you're high sticking a fish, they just have a tendency because you're trying to lift their head up. And they don't like that, so that's why they start going like this, and then they start going down, down, and down, and then you got to start chasing them. Yeah. But if you go like this, it's easier because you're you're you can kind of work them inch and inch, and sometimes I'll walk back and then I'll gain this steady walking up slowly, mm-hmm. and then you gain seem it doesn't seem to shock them as much or yeah, alarm them as just much. Gentle. Yeah. I mean, it's worked on some steelhead and kings and different places do you um do you ever fish dry flies i started uh, back in 57 and dry fly fished um and then i really haven't um and i missed part of it but i'm but, I, but i'm a nymph guy <laughs> i'm just a i'm a down i'm whether it's down this far or down near the bottom i just i haven't uh no yeah, that's a hard question. I mean, it's not that I that I I wouldn't want to do that. The only thing that I've done that's even close to that is gone to the Deschutes for the salmon flies, and I made this little, this foam body, and I put some pheasant feathers on it, and had some of the trout, and I got that. But that's really that doesn't really hardly count. You know, it's not dry fly. I mean, you know, they're floating, but um, but I. Um, Wow, you had to ask me, didn't you? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, I just, I'm so dialed into what we're doing now, and I, there's a certain amount, I just enjoy tricking the fish. And, and, and doing it where you can't see them all the time, there's a certain amount of getting them to strike. Because you never know how many are just swimming by or swimming up and swimming away. That happens to all of us. Right. So, you know, because I've seen, I've seen, I've seen them come up like this and then they go, I go, wait a minute, what was wrong with that? You know, and, and, uh, but that's really the fun, I think, is just tricking the fish. But you're allowed to have your preference at this stage. Yeah, no, I know. And and listen, I, I know it's a lot of fun. I mean, you know, and, um, but I just, I don't know. Maybe. 
Uh, maybe another, give me another 35 years. Yeah. <laughs> I might come up with something. <laughs> well, you're so, back in the game, so I'm curious to see what you're going to come up with. Yeah, we're, I'm so excited. Um, we are we are resurfacing, and and we're gonna we we've got a lot more things in the works that I I'm, I'm not, I can't talk about now. Yep. But it's going to be big. I'm excited. Yeah. So we're thank you very much. Cool. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you would like to add or ask me before I let you go and hang out with your children? Um. Well, you know, um, first of all, I want you to know that I've I've enjoyed our friendship, oh, and I've like enjoyed following you. you and watching. And Donna and I both, uh, we really do uh, think the world of you and what you're doing and Thank for you. our sport. And you're in, and you're doing a fine job. Thanks, Jim. So welcome. And and uh, and no, you know, I think we we've covered a lot of things, and there's probably things we haven't covered. But I think in general that. Um, we're we're here for the the young, middle aged, and the old. And uh, and one of the things that I've noticed that I will hope can change someday is that when I do a program and I go to put on you know in a club or whatever, that they're older. There's not a lot of young people sitting there. So I hope that from all of this, that we that people understand our grandkids fish. They're like. 15 to 19 and and uh, people need to get out on the water and if, if it's fishing camping hiking i don't care what it is they just need to get outdoors instead of all the the electronics it's just they're going to miss a big part of life if they don't and that concludes this episode of anchored In the next episode, I'll be traveling to meet with hatchery advocate Greg Osborne. I promised you I would. Stay tuned.